Welcome to season seven of Franchise Findings. This is your host, Patrick Fundaro. We're gonna continue to interview franchisees of some very large franchise organizations as well as emerging concepts, as well as founders and top professionals in the franchising space. I hope you enjoy our podcast as well as today's episode. You have Patrick Fundaro here, co-founder at Vetted Biz. Excited to have on Jay Nutting who's a franchisee of DreamMaker Bath and Kitchen in Wisconsin. Jay, thanks so much for, for joining today. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And from what I understand, going into franchising, it, it was you're working in corporate America. Um, you were already doing a remodeling business on the side. Could you just tell us a little bit about your experience and how you left the, the corporate world? Well, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I, I had a calling that said, Jay, your passion is business ownership, right? And it's not corporate America. And uh, I stumbled across the DreamMaker name and the DreamMaker uh, won and checked a couple of boxes, right? It was business ownership, buying in, and it was also caters to the remodeling industry. So at, at that stage of the game, my interest was peaked. I thought, wow, um, this may be a fit. And I went through, DreamMaker had a several step process, right? Of how they interview people to see who they would want to have join the group. Is it a good fit for me? Am I a good fit for the DreamMaker name? And after going through the several steps, I think we both looked at each other, right? And realized, yeah, I think this is a good fit. Or right around unofficially, officially January 1st, 2016, uh, our doors were open and it's been an enjoyable ride ever since. So Jay, I understand you weren't looking at other franchises and you had already started your own independent remodeling business before deciding to move forward with DreamMaker? Correct. So my my own independent remodeling business was more of a hobby than it was a career that paid the bills. I had I had essentially my engineering career and then my remodeling uh, hobby, if you will, was was outstanding because that was my side money, right? My extracurricular vacation money. After coming across the DreamMaker name is when I realized, wow, I think I could I could turn this into a career instead of a hobby. And went through their interviewing process that uh, really dawned on me is like, wow, this is really something I can I can pursue as a passion, one, as a business owner, and two, in the remodeling world. And what was it about that that process? Because I know it is pretty unique and you didn't go through the, the process of a bunch of franchisors, but Doug and his team, CEO of, of DreamMaker, are really looking for a good fit and they want to bring in people that have already had previous success in whatever endeavor it was prior to joining the DreamMaker system. Correct. And I think to to add to that, what really intrigued me about the, the DreamMaker model is, is I was able to, with success, able to develop a business such that I could slowly phase myself out. Because one thing in the, in the remodeling industry, I think uh, your contractors typically uh, work very hard, right? They're very hard workers. They work seven days a week. They work 20 hours a day and their business is truly 100% reliant on them. And if, if something were to happen to them, their company dissolves. And what really turned me on to the DreamMaker way 
um, like I mentioned, is they have a model that if followed right, is you can, I guess, grow a company to the point where you can start pulling yourself out and you can start removing hats of, of your value to the company, so to speak. And ultimately, my vision would be to have a performing entity, as we call this business, where I could be in the back seat, um, frankly, on the golf course or on the boat, and I have a company that's producing revenue without me. Yeah, I love it. And that is the dream of so many entrepreneurs to have that kind of income stream without grinding it, continuing to work, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. Yes, correct. So we're not quite there yet, but we're making traction every day. And what's your headcount look like? How many W-2 employees versus contractors do you have in your business? So right now I have a team of nine. So including myself, 10. We're about 50-50 there. We, I have five, including myself, in the office, so to speak, and five in the field producing at the job site. And are your roles... Your, your time and focus more spent on the actual operations or more spent on sales and, and procuring new clients? Great question. I, I'm, I'm in that transition right now where I'm starting to uh, relieve some of my sales um, time, if you will. And it's more CEO type activity, general manager type activity working on the business, which is really where I want to be. And I understand you might be expanding, potentially going into other territories. That is something we're looking at now. We have a we have a, a small town, actually city, that's close by, within about a thirty five minute drive, and we're looking to potentially have a satellite office there. Something that's a little different, um, not necessarily a a second business, but really just a satellite office where we still have a, a main hub here where we're at is our main major operation, but then looking at a satellite facility. Yeah, and really the main reason there is, in theory, is will I be able to expand our territory a little bit without really taking on the overhead of a whole second operation? That makes sense. I'm sure there's a lot of synergies between, will be a lot of synergies between the operations. Yeah, correct. With A lot of times with the same team too. I think what we were looking at that as we could rotate some of our time. You know, maybe it maybe it's my turn. Jay's going to be at the satellite office on Thursdays, and maybe somebody else takes Fridays, for example. So you've had your business now for about eight years. What have been some of the hardest parts of, of being a business owner? You know, honestly, I think the the hardest part in terms of mental and physical energy was about the first two years, really. 18 months, the first 18 months, because uh, when we started, it was truly a ground up. There was, I, I did not roll in existing business. I didn't roll in existing uh, clientele. It was truly a, a, a ground zero startup type. And it, it took time. It took time and it took a lot of energy. And I was at a period where myself, I had all the hats on, right? I was the carpenter, I was the office manager, I was the accountant, I was the salesperson, anything you could think of, that was me. And it takes a little time, energy, jobs uh, to start trying to remove those hats. And for me, it took, yeah, a, a very strong 18 months. 
were there some ways that the franchisor mitigated the time where maybe if you just did it yourself full time as a as a contractor, it might have been like 36 months or at least 24 months? Well, I think one of the big things that, that DreamMaker helped me with, with their systems, with their internal systems and, and best practices, is it let me know that I was on the right path and to keep my head up, keep my chin high, so to speak, and, and continue to trust the system and, and move forward. Because I think otherwise, on your own, or on my own, man, I probably a year in, I would have said, this is too difficult. I, I'm going to go back to engineering. It's too risky. And I'm, I'm going to spend the, my family's savings and uh, it's not going to be good. Yeah, I think that's something, you know, I talked to a lot of friends that are late 30s, 40s, you know, they're making 150K a year, 200K a year. And I, I think across the board, whether it's a, a franchise opportunity, a dream maker, franchise space, or even an independent business, if you're already excelling as a as an engineer, you're probably going to be taking a step back to to take a step forward, and and hopefully that time to you know take the step forward isn't going to be so grueling. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it, uh, Patrick. I believe I actually took maybe three steps backwards, <laughs> but as of today, uh, eight years later, I would say I'm probably ten steps forward. Wow. So, um, great. I would never look back from where I am today, but it, it definitely it was a leap of faith in the beginning. Looking back now, would it have been better to start this business earlier in your career or later or about where you started it? You know, I, I'm not sure if, if there's some earlier or later. If I, if I had to pick one of, over the other, I think starting earlier would be better because when you have a business up and running and the wheels turning, your potential for earning income for years down the road is significantly higher, right? So the longer you wait, I think you're just, you're removing your your available years, if you will, to make a run for a successful business. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And also the longer you wait, your opportunity costs uh, gets that much higher. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, like I said earlier, to take three steps back, to take 10 steps forward, you know, I think there probably is some merit to that on starting that earlier in life than, than later. And I know in the DreamMaker system, people are mostly going after high-end projects. This isn't a remodeling um, service for, for the masses. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your niche, your ideal customer? Yeah, I mean, the, the typical demographic for a DreamMaker type project is your new empty nester. You know, they've had a successful working career. They're starting to wind down a little bit, six, uh, 50s, 60s maybe. And, uh, you know, their house, they've raised a family in their home. And now they're looking to, to really sweeten it up and make it for them to enjoy for their, their latter years. So we're looking at, taking a whole kitchen and, and sometimes several rooms, completely tearing them out and, and doing a whole redesign in the home. Like, how can we make this function better? How do we make this aesthetically uh, five-star? And how do we make this a home that you're, you're really proud of to bring your grandbabies back in, right, and have Christmas with? So that's probably one of our top uh, clients there. 
but I don't want to pigeonhole to just that. I mean, we've been we're working now. We're doing projects for Gen Zers, right? So we're we have the a range from Gen Z all the way to to now our baby boomers as they're getting in their elderly years. So uh, I'd like to say we will work for anybody, but we we also are not a company that is is going to you know take out a toilet and and replace a toilet, right? We're looking for more of the full service white glove type of remodel that someone's interested in. And how much is this usually setting the, the customer back in terms of product, service, when everything's said and done? Oh, I, I wouldn't say set back, Patrick. It's it's a it's an investment, right? It's it's a return on investment. We're looking at our average project is right around fifty thousand. And so that doesn't mean we we, we could do a ten thousand dollar countertop project or we can do a $210,000 whole first story gut and makeover. And how has your business fared during COVID? Has it grown? Has it has it decreased a bit in revenue? Yeah, great question. I think COVID, um, ironically, was amazing for us. I think COVID, people were home. They were not traveling. They were using their home more than ever before. And they, they were realizing my goodness, I hate my kitchen or I can't stand <laughs> my bathroom or my laundry room is terribly inefficient. So ironically, the phones really picked up during that time. Uh, in, in the remodeling industry, I think in all of the construction industry was a wonderful boom for us, which I accept with open arms. I think a lot of times when a recession hits or when there's something, a blip in the economy, it seems like construction and home remodeling uh, takes a hit, right? But in this case, we did not. We we took a boom. I know from the latest item 19 that DreamMaker discloses in their franchise disclosure document that average sales have really like steadily gone up. So from the time you joined until now, like basically franchisees across the board are, are making a lot more money. What what are you seeing? What what has been the big change? I'm, I'm sure some is on the macro and industry level, but any significant changes at DreamMaker from the eight years you've been there that have helped accelerate the revenue? A couple things. I think one is as a network, I think we, have, we all have seen that our job size average has went up. And nice. for example, um, six years ago, my, let's say my average job was around 30,000, where today my average job may be about 50,000. It's a big gap. So if you're doing, you know, if you're doing 50 jobs a year, of course, you know, times another 20, you could do the math on that. So everybody's numbers, top line numbers really went up. The second part to that is I, I believe DreamMaker has really stepped in uh, as a franchisor to to really support and help the newer companies, the newer franchisees. Uh, they want to see them succeed, of course, and they want to see them succeed in a very powerful way, uh, which means improving your life as an owner and improving your bottom line significantly. And they they have done a lot of uh, powerful yet unique things in the last few years to support. Uh, the especially the newer franchisees, getting them up and running. Interesting. So basically time to market and, and getting those newer franchisees up to speed, um, I'm sure has helped also just bring the whole average up in terms of revenue. 
Absolutely. And then are there any initiatives on the profitability side? Because, you know, like I, I was looking at Subway, they're up for sale and average unit volume has been going up for, for the Subway chain, but franchisees are still complaining that it's not so pop popular, especially with all those discounted $5 subs that, that they're selling. What has DreamMaker done to ensure that also franchisees, yeah, they're, they're selling a lot, but also they're making good money along the way? Well, it, it all starts on, on how you sell the project, right? And we call it as, as salespeople, we call it our own head trash of what we feel the project is worth. And for example, let's say the kitchen, the kitchen is, I, I think <laughs> I have to learn that I am not my own customer, right? So yes. maybe I think the kitchen's worth $40,000, but my estimating software is telling me that it's worth 50,000. Either way, my customer is gonna know that they're spending a significant amount of money and I need to sell that project at 50,000 and not get in my own head and give them a discount because I'm because I have a big heart <laughs> and sell it for 40. That's a big part of it that we talk about as a group is selling at margin all the time. Period. So if you're selling at margin, then when you're producing, you're that much more ahead of the game uh knowing that there's money in that job. And also knowing that if done right, there's money to keep after that job is done. And what are you seeing in terms of the referral side? Like, I guess, what percentage of your, is your business is referrals versus organic and Google ads, et cetera? Yeah. So, so that number, fortunately, uh, continues to grow every year. Uh, of course, in year one, I, I didn't have too much of a client list yeah. uh, to work off of. But every year, every year that goes by, we add another 50 to 60 to 70 uh, customers, hopefully many very happy ones that, that grow that number for us. So as of right now, we're sitting at about 35% repeat referral uh, wow. with our jobs. And, and imagine with those guys, you do the estimation, they sign up, you're not selling them on, on your services. It's more, okay, I, and this is my second job. I trust you. Jay did a great job, your team in the past, or you're coming from a warm referral and they're just more ready to go than if it's just some random guy that found you on the internet. Yeah, Patrick, you hit it right on the head. I think as a, a brand new person that calls in, maybe our close ratio is 15%, right? But a repeat referral, maybe our close ratio on that lead is 90%. So yeah, we want wow. those. <laughs> and I'm sure if we're speaking in five years from now, that 35% is probably gonna cross the 50% chasm. Which would be amazing. I know that's one of our metrics. So I would love to see that 50 barrier. And as you can imagine, when when that number grows, then you don't have to worry about putting so much energy into your marketing budget. Yeah, you can focus on on the sales and, and the, the client onboarding and the, the operations and making sure that your prior clients know that you're still open for business and that you're you're ready to do whatever project there might be. Got it. Simple. Throughout today's conversation, you've spoken through a few different KPIs. Are there any other indicators that you're really tracking daily or weekly? Um, one of the KPIs that, that I really like to look at is my, my efficiency in the field. I break it down per hour. 
So, for example, if I have uh, four carpenters and I have eight hours in a day, that's 32 hours a day that could produce revenue for the company times 20, Monday through Friday, four days a week, right? So 32 times 20, six, that's 640, right? I have 640 hours, uh, for example, in the month of April, where I can produce money for the company. Now, <laughs> break that down. Am I producing for 640 hours? Probably not, because there's some inefficiencies built in. But I'd like to say if a, a really good month is we're producing 90% efficiency. So 90% of 640 hours, 64, so... 580 570 and some change um that's a well if i machine. actually made money for 570 hours wonderful if not some months maybe not so much some months maybe my production schedule is not as as tight and i'm only producing for 450 hours well i know that that my bottom line is going to be significantly lower at that point and that efficiency ratio, was that something that you came up with yourself or was that something that other franchisees or the franchisor recommended that you really focus on? That was, this specific KPI was, was a brainchild, if you will, of, of a DreamMaker group. It wasn't DreamMaker franchisor, but it was a, it was a group of owners uh, that we meet regularly that with our discussions, we came up with that. Very cool. So it was like a, a peer forum, essentially, that you guys came together and, and discussed that that's, this was like a, a top KPI that you should be tracking. Yes, correct. Peer forum is a great, we call it in, in the DreamMaker world, we call it a next level group, which is probably one of my most favorite activities of being a franchisee with DreamMaker. Yeah, I'm part of entrepreneur organization. And I have a forum and I, I think it's just amazing, like meeting on a regular cadence with eight people, eight fellow business owners are essentially having the same problems as you and being, you know, as transparent and open as possible. Right. With, with kind of an open book uh, mentality, right? We can dive into each other's numbers and, and really get a lot of uh, uh, wow. momentum behind knowing, knowing that and having those discussions. Well, Jay, I want to applaud you for being so open, transparent. Um, this is going to help a lot of people that are thinking about business ownership, but maybe haven't quite made the decision to take the jump. Do you have any advice for your yourself, you know, and what you had learned that you wish you knew going into entrepreneurship or those listeners that are would-be entrepreneurs working in an engineering company, working in tech, working at a, a large multinational? Well, one, one piece of advice I give, because uh, sometimes I take phone calls for franchisee perspectives, people that are that are going through the interview process. And one of the pieces of advice I give is is just because you're looking to join a franchise does not mean uh, you get to hit the easy button and life is going to be simple and you're going to be wealthy. That's actually far from the case. Is it's still going to take a lot of your own leadership and your own energy really to, to make that vehicle happen. That resonates with me because I do always advocate that 90% plus of franchises really require a very active owner operator willing to put in 40 plus hour weeks, at least for the first two years. Yeah. And I have now lived that. So I believe that 100%.
Jay, was there another item before uh, we let you go? And again, really appreciate the time that you've given today. Uh, no, I'm I'm happy. I hopefully this is this is some good information for for people listening in and new prospective business owners and entrepreneurs. Jay, again, I want to thank you for your time and and really appreciate joining us today. Patrick, I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast episode. If you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free to also drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.